Are you ready? Sound effect record time. Guess what this is, kids? That wasn't a bad sound effect. Hmm. <laughs> it had a good hiss on it. Welcome back to the Purple Fringe. Uh, a little bit of old school music there from an old synthesizer I used to have. And um, yeah, we're here to celebrate everything that uh, is camera technology and um, and also, I guess, um, editing support of technology as well. I mean, John, what have you got? Give me something. Uh, g'day, guys. Welcome to the Purple Fringe. Uh, this is episode number eight. Today is probably going to be a bit of a quicker episode than usual because it's after NAB and not that much has really happened, Chris. No, I mean, it's been, um, yeah, there's obviously the, the sort of series of announcements, but there's been some cool sort of dribble, uh, I guess, like little bits that have come out afterwards. Yeah. Um, that might have been kind of a little late in the day. Maybe they were aiming for NAB and then, um, you know. Or bits we just perhaps missed along the way and uh, got lost amongst the noise. But, but uh, we're going to have a look at some of those things today. Before we get into it, though, Chris, just a couple of announcements. Uh, we now have a Twitter, the Purple Fringe Twitter account. So if you do want to tweet at us uh, or ask us a question or whatever it may be, it's TPF Show. So at TPF Show, that will get us on the Twitter. We also have a YouTube account, Chris. Wow. It's this new thing the kids are all talking about. Tube. Uh, and apparently people listen to audio occasionally on YouTube, which I find quite bizarre. However, we don't want to discriminate, so we no. are releasing the episodes on YouTube as well as this audio newfangled iTunes <laughs> slash MP3 thing. Wow. Oh, don't you love that? Mm. Audio on YouTube. It's the yes. future of efficiency. Yes, indeed. Excellent. Well, um, let's have a look at what's happening this, this week. There's a big piece of news. I'm super excited the Sony Alpha series of cameras has been hacked to record the to limit the recording um, uh, time un- unlimited. unlimited. Sorry, I should say. <laughs> so to remove the limitation of the recording time and finally allow us to hit record on a camera and walk away. So, bit of background on this. Uh, I believe it's a European tax law, Chris, that prevents cameras that are not meant to be video cameras necessarily from recording more than half an hour because once they record more than half an hour, they have to charge more tax, I think, on the on the cameras, at least in Europe. It's something strange like that. It becomes a video camera and then it sits under the video camera tax. And I think if it's a video camera with a removable lens system or mounting system, it counts as, as a, uh, a different thing. But uh, I don't know, maybe it extends across to um, point and shoots as well. It does. That's why you've got the, the arbitrary uh, 29 and 59 second limit. So occasionally you want to record half an hour or more. And uh, this hack gets around it, a la Magic Lantern for the the Canon series of cameras. So um, this is basically a reverse engineer of the Play Memories app, which is part of the the Sony material, I suppose. And um, it basically should work on a lot of their mirrorless cameras. So the the new A6300, for example, and possibly your RX body, Chris. Nice. Yeah, well, that's, um, that's something to look forward to. I mean... I'm, you know, there's nothing wrong with um, a lot of the time when you're recording. If you're just, uh, you know, hitting record straight after it stops again to pick it back up and get that second half an hour, mm. um, you know, that's great. For me, I play music and I actually do like to have my camera sometimes at the back of the room recording a show. Yeah. Um, if I go and I hit record on it and then I've got to get on stage and play a 40 minute show, it's going to conk out. Yep. So it's nice just to be able to leave a little camera at the back of the room, hit the record button, and run around the front. 
and uh, know that it's going to capture the whole thing. Will it overheat is the question. Yeah, look, it is alpha very much at this stage, so proceed with caution. Very much like whenever Magic Lantern releases a a new uh, hacked firmware for one of the Canon cameras, probably not a good idea to install it on day one. Uh, Same deal with this. There is the possibility of overheating, and some of the cameras that are listed here they are quite small cameras, so the cooling um, is probably not up to the standards of a dedicated video camera, so probably a good idea to proceed with caution at this stage. Mm. Um, have you actually seen what happens to cameras when they, they tend to overheat? Uh, I haven't seen one go full overboard, but uh, the pixels start to go a bit crazy from what I've seen. Yeah, they get, get pixel jams. Yeah. It's just sort of speckle all over the screen and hold on. And then you also get it where... Um, the sensor starts to white out occasionally as well. Mm. Um, but it's mainly this, this stuck, crazy stuck pixels and, yeah, the noise floor goes up and suddenly gets fuzzy. I've had a couple of times where I've shot in, like, hot areas um, where cameras got a bit hot and, yeah, you start to sort of feel it getting out of control. <laughs> yeah, look, I've, I've had cameras. I've been shooting in the sun with even SLRs and they get to the point where they are physically hot to touch and you start to get a little bit worried. And as you say, the noise does go up with a hotter camera, so that's not necessarily going to be a great thing. Just as an aside on that, um, I think we've maybe mentioned this before, but in scientific imaging, they actually have uh, like liquid nitrogen that they pump through the back of the sensor to Mm. keep it cold. We might do an episode where we actually talk about sensors a bit, but some of the um, the sensors they have to, you know, the technology to keep it cold. It's not necessarily complex technology. It's just what is the coldest thing we can pump through mm. the back of this sensor to keep it like down temperature-wise that's available on the market. And yeah, liquid nitrogen is a bit of a, a big combination in um, the high-end um, scientific imaging market. So and overclockers know, for their computers and overclockers. That's a serious overclock if yes. you're pumping liquid, liquid nitrogen. nitrogen into it. Uh, we've got a new. Immersive video slash VR slash 360 degree video camera. How how many drinking offences is that? That's at least a couple. That was at least three. Uh, All right. So. Immersive. Immersive. (laughs) Yep. Drink. Um, Anyway, Condition 1 announces the bison. It's an interesting name. (laughs) I love the bison. What? Yeah. Where did that come from? (laughs) Um, It's a uh, rugged 16 lens stereoscopic 360 degree Camera that looks like a lunar lander that it's <laughs> looks like land on the moon very shortly. It does. It's amazing. It's just got these little lenses all over it, and they're they're wild. Yeah, they look like almost diffused LEDs, but they're actually the lenses. Um, shoots in stereo, which we all love. I'm kidding, of course. Um, but look, it's an interesting looking camera. They they have some interesting design goals, and the guy who uh, is part of the design of this camera is actually a filmmaker. So. And he's a filmmaker in a war zone as well. He likes to get into small places and to actually capture the real essence of people close up. Mm. So uh, I like the idea of something that's... Because uh, the biggest problem with the the GoPro mounts, with all the crazy GoPros that you put on them, is that they don't often do close up. But like all the perspective jumps out and it all... St- yeah. after, get closer than three metres. Yeah, ooh. and when you try and stitch it, you get two or three of people. So... This camera has been designed with that in mind, which I think is really important because we like to get close when we shoot video generally, um, and generally you can't with immersive video. So if this camera comes through with what it promises, it'd be really cool to have things close to the lens and not have that distortion and weird artifacting and blending and and stitching issues that you currently get with with the GoPro and even other non-GoPro rigs. Did they put a price on it at all? Not that I've seen yet, but uh, look, even the the Nokia Os, Osmo, I think it is, um, 
That's, that's definitely a drinking event. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that looks like a giant sperm, um, a giant ball with a tail, that thing's 60 grand and that still has stitching issues. So anything that can solve that is fantastic. The other thing that I think is interesting is that they've positioned this as a documentary slash news camera. And of all the things that immersive video could be potentially good for, I think news is definitely a priority there because part of news is to take the pictures in news in the package are to take the the viewer there and actually give a sense of the environment and nothing's going to give you the sense of the environment like immersive video so really uh, i thought isn't news to show you what they want you to see no oh, all right mr cynical all right me being a hippie who watches things like sbs and and whatnot illuminati my non-commercial well slightly commercial news um yes Ideally, the point of news is to tell you what's actually going on. So this is a tool to do that. And I could imagine it actually being quite effective, yeah. at, especially in a war zone or, or in, in a, a big a disaster zone or a sporting yeah. event. Or, yep. Yeah, if it can deliver on what it promises, I think this could actually be a more interesting camera and perhaps not so much for the technology, but more the the ideas behind it. And more the you set it up, turn it on and off it goes. Because this configuration of these yeah, cameras... getting a screwdriver in a GoPro rig is a pain. Yeah, no, those GoPro rigs were um, a really good way to introduce people who had, you know, an interest in it and access to some GoPros. But no, nah, we're, we're moving forwards. Mm. Pelican, Chris. Yeah. Um, what do Pelican do? They fly all around the world. They do. Um, they eat fish, I believe. And they eat fish as well. Mm. They also uh, work very hard when they're not uh, in the oceans uh, building cases for uh, camera gear. Mm. Um, and... Shotguns, from what I can tell. Yeah, yeah, they're um, they're sort of an industrial casing company. American Pelican are really good. Their um, their cases aren't cheap, but uh, I mean, their insurance. I think they're uh, not insurance policy. Their, their warranty is basically if you break it, you give it back to them and they'll fix it. Well, they make stuff for the military, so yeah, and they're they're very good with honouring their war- like you know you buy a Pelican case, it's 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 guaranteed to be you know, a good, strong, solid case that doesn't break apart. And my experience, I've never damaged, or well, I've damaged, but I haven't killed a Pelican case yet. Yeah, look, we'd have, ugh, we must have about 70 or so in the office. and Not a single one? Not a single one's broken yet. Yep. So There we go. That's a huge thing. Now, these new ones are uh, a, a bit of a, a revolution because they're 40% lighter uh, mm. and with the same strength as the original cases. And Pelican cases were never particularly light. And... To be honest, that's one of the problems I have with them. And in fact, most, I actually use the Pelican cases a lot when they're for smaller cases, for smaller things like audio recorders and whatnot. I, I think they're great for that. But I've actually sort of shied away a little bit from using their bigger cases because, frankly, they're difficult to manage. They're hard to carry. They bang against your leg. They're uncomfortable. Like, they're good at what they're designed for, and that's protecting the camera. But the ergonomics, are a little bit um, uncomfortable. Traditional. At times. It's a little yeah. bit traditional case. And when you're dealing with smaller people, I'm six foot three, so I'm, I'm lucky in this respect, I suppose. But if you're not all that large, then some of their cases can be quite heavy. So anything that's going to lighten the load, I think, is a welcome uh, addition. Yeah. No, Pelican cases, especially for the super small stuff. Um, is going to be great just to have it a little bit lighter, and a new divider system inside as well, which is cool. 
Because traditionally they've they've had this pull out um, the pick, foam the stuff, the pick and pluck, pick and pluck foam, which, which is okay. It's I've never I've had some good cases for that, but sometimes <clears> you <throat> you pluck it one way and then because they last forever, you buy a new you, a new camera and it's a different shape to what you plucked out. You're yeah, like, it's oh. a pick and fuck it because you <laughs> yeah. picked it the wrong way. And of course they sell new foam kits for a ridiculous amount of money. Very yeah, very expensive. Someone's making a good mark up there. Um, and yeah, it's interesting, Chris. It's it's basically a bunch of um, what are they? They're they're a few millimeters thick. They're this uh, a little bit like cardboard, I suppose, but they're not obviously made of cardboard. They're more robust than that. Sort of plastic, you, sort of, but yeah, the same kind that, of. Yeah. But you've got that sort of perforation in the middle to yeah. create a bit of rigidity, and you get these strips of them, and they give you a cutting tool as well. And you basically slide the cutting tool down the the width of it and, and slice it to your desired size. And then you've got these pins that just sort of clip inside the actual uh, wall of this uh, divider and into another wall of the divider on another piece, and they all sort of join together via these clips. So, mm. look, it, it looks quite interesting. Obviously, once you've cut it, then you can't really go back, but then with pick-and-pluck stuff, you couldn't either. Whereas at least this is a bit more robust, a bit more rigid, so it's not going to, to move around. I've always found as soon as you start to get a little bit intricate with pick and pluck stuff. Yeah. It doesn't last. It doesn't hold, no. You start so, putting bits in and out and there's corners fall off yeah, the and corners, extra bits yeah. loosen up. Any right angles, they're gone. Yeah. No, I've had the same with the pick and pluck yeah. uh, the cases. So, look, this seems like an interesting, interesting solution and if it's a little bit cheaper than that pick and pluck foam, that will be a, a welcome addition Wouldn't as well. The only, the only problem I have with any case company, and this is um, not just Pelican, this is like if we look at the majority of case companies, is sometimes there's not a case for the size that you actually want to look at. I mean, this is just a generic, like, I mean, you obviously can't get luggage the right size, which you want, you know, it's yeah. finding a bag, which is the right bag for you for anything is can be tricky if it's not specifically designed for a product. Yeah. We were talking the other day about a mic kit case. Yeah, look, I've got lots of mics that need to go out to people and, um, to be honest, I find it, I found it really hard to find a microphone case that's going to be a little bit more than just a soft case. It's going to protect the microphone, maybe hold an XLR cable or two, and it'd be the right form factor. So Pelican cases are great, but they tend to be a bit squarish, I've found. So for a microphone, obviously, you want something that's reasonably shallow, reasonably long, and not too tall. Where And I don't think they really make anything for that which is a bit of a problem for me at the moment because I'm trying to source a case to hold 20-odd microphones. What, what What's the mic? Is it a shotgun? Is it like an NT? No, it's just a, a handheld. So like a Rode reporter or something like that? Yeah, not even that tall, although there will be a, some of those in the mix. So so it could be like something... An M1. Yeah, so like an SM58 equivalent. Yeah. So a standard stage microphone, a cable and some adapters. I mean, that's yeah. such a standard request of the kind of thing that your vocalist would take to a show or something like that. If you had a little case set up for like, you know, 80 bucks, 120 bucks that you could just, you know, pack that in. That's the kind of thing which would be very handy to a lot of people. I, I, yeah. yeah. So if anyone knows of a case, please tweet us at uh, TPF show because mm. um, we'd love to hear about uh, those sort of cases because we've I've found a couple of, I think it's Op- Optiplex or something like that, that make soft cases and they look okay, but I would like a, a hard case that doesn't cost a fortune, doesn't cost as much as the microphone itself, that uh, does a decent job of housing it. Hmm. Yes. Anyway. John, why don't you just 3D print one, buddy? Uh, is that a drinking offence? I reckon it is. <laughs> 3D printing. Anything with 3D in it, perhaps. Mm. 
What about immersive 3D immersive printing? 3D printing. <laughs> we better continue the That's show. The next thing, <laughs> life-size dioramas. Well, you're just um, in virtual reality, like, plucking. Um, actually, no. Actually, the, the Vive, um, I think, has an app where you can actually draw something in 3D yes, and then print it. Yes, it's all the rage on YouTube this week. So. Oh, amazing. Yes. I've been playing with them for a year now. They're great. All right. Moving on, Chris. Dropbox, do you use it? Uh, no, I use Google Drive. All right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> no, I had, a, I had a spat with uh, Dropbox because... Uh, what happened? No, I, I had to buy a pro account just to sync some files at one point. Um, and yeah. So anyway, never, never here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, but maybe not aside. you, Chris, but many, many people do use Dropbox. Yeah. So they've announced something that I think is useful. <laughs> it's the Project Infinite. Uh, if you want to tweet at me, I am infinite, at infinite, uh, Jonathan Lang, infinite. Uh, that's a... Another thing, I'm not a K-pop band. Um, they've announced this new uh, functionality to Dropbox, which basically enables you to sync all your files in terms of the the actual file names and um, the extensions, I suppose, without the data. So every file takes up zero kilobytes on your hard drive, but it shows you what is there. So how is that useful? Well, basically for smaller devices. So if you buy a business account or a, a pro account with Dropbox, you get a terabyte. And these days, a terabyte isn't huge. However, it it is if you've got a, a laptop probably because most laptops these days, half-decent laptops, are shipping with an SSD. And that's probably 256 gig in size on average. Yes, it could be bigger, but it's probably not a terabyte just yet unless you spend a lot of money. So my question is, does it bring the thumbnails across for things like videos and photos? Because that would be amazing to be able to scroll through and see something you want and click, you know, and have the thumbnail capability. I don't know, Chris, but you are correct. That would be amazing. No, that's that's functionality yeah. 101. If it does that, I'd be semi-interested. That's That sounds like a, a decent request, and you probably only bump up the file size by a very small amount. For actually, you'd be sending 30 kilobytes at most. Yeah. Point. Yeah, well, look... Dropbox has always had this functionality called selective sync, and I use this all the time because I have a, a pro account and I sync with a laptop, and the laptop's only got a 500 gig drive in it. So I don't want to sync the whole thing, and this selective sync was basically you could go in and choose the folders you wanted to sync. The only problem was whenever you added a new folder, it added it to to the Dropbox sync by default, so you'd run out of hard drive space all the time. So I would like to go in and basically say, look, put everything on selective sync apart from or, or this new infinite sync, whatever they're going to call it, um, apart from the things I have specified, and at least I can see what should be there, and if I want to download it, I can download it on demand. So it was a reasonably seamless tech demo for a PowerPoint presentation. Obviously, a video is not going to be as smooth, but uh, you double-click on it, it downloads in the background, it opens in PowerPoint, and um, everything's hunky-dory. Hmm. Um well, so, I mean, I can handle that if it's. Yeah, honestly, the thumbnail thing is a big win, a big thing for me because I'm often looking for um, a piece of stock or a photo or something for something where I want to drop it in a presentation or reference them. Yeah. And I only have 64 gig <laughs> hard yeah. drive in my laptop, which is right. even less than you've got because I've yeah. got a um, transformer pad. Yep. Um. So yeah, I mean, far out. If I could get something like that, that was you know, and, and be mobile and on the fly and not have to worry and, and go back to like my equivalent of a NAS, that would be fantastic. Indeed. 
Well, look, mm, also, good idea. Um, it does give you the ability to download things manually as well. So if you do want to make sure it is available to you offline, you're going to a space that doesn't have internet connectivity, you can still download it prior yeah. to, to going out and about. But the other thing, j- just to point on that, the, the functionality of the cloud in inverted commas is it's a bit slow and cumbersome. And I've always, anything that's got a ping time is going to slow you down. And you know, we are quite fast with the way we scroll and we punch around things and we look at things and we like to be able to quickly, you know, draw a conclusion by doing a big list and showing a type. And we like to do that within fractions of a second. Uh, mm-hmm. We do work faster than the internet is capable of providing its return queries for. So, you know, the cloud for me has always just felt cumbersome. It felt like a step backwards. So this, for me, really kind of, if it, if, if it has thumbnails, mm-hmm. uh, would be, and a preview of the document would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I would assume they would put that in. They would have to. We, well, we hope so. It's still very much a, an early uh, part of the development cycle. It's very much aimed at business users at this stage as well, but hopefully they do add those sort of features in the not-too-distant future. It's a multimedia future. Mm. I can, Chris. I like ICANN. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with them. I've bought a few of their rigs. I can a screen. Okay. Well, we've bought sort of handles and, and camera mounts and stuff like that. I've found them to be pretty good for the price. So I don't think they're super high end, but I think they are good value. I, I think they're better than the, the standard Chinese uh, cheap stuff that sort of falls apart and isn't very well designed and the manuals are impossible yeah. to read. I, I think yeah, they're no, a nice compromise. They are. The, the products seem to... Yeah, they, no, they do the what products they say, work. The they products do what don't they fall apart. Lots. Yeah, and they don't cost you a fortune. They're not cheap. But they're not expensive either. They're not usually first to market either, but they're quite considered with their design, I think. Yeah. And um, Yeah, no, I, I have time for ICANN, definitely. Anyway, the reason we're talking about ICANN is uh, at NOB, they released a, a few gimbals. In, in fact, quite a few gimbals. I believe they released four gimbals. Four gimbals, at least four gimbals. So they have gimbals for all shapes and sizes. They do not discriminate at ICANN. Uh, what gimbals did they release, Chris? They released four. Uh, the first is a mobile phone gimbal. Uh, now, I would almost kind of just raise my eyebrows at that and go, why? But to be honest, the quality of uh, the cameras, as we know now, uh, out of phones is actually relatively decent, apart from the fact you're holding it a rigid body that can rotate and flap around in the breeze very easily. So, no, but that's what this is. This is what with. you do. You, you clip it into this little clip and you you know, you know walk around and it, it stabilizes um, on five axes, which is pretty impressive. And you look at the demos and... It looks like, from video footage anyway, that it's stabilizing pretty well. So this is very similar to DJI's stuff, uh, sort of a gimbal on a stick, but this time yep. you're sticking a, a mobile phone on a stick and, and stabilizing it. I, look, I definitely see a use case for this, a lot of news uh, gathering stuff, not the high end of news, but you know, local newspapers and, and websites that are trying to develop content. Yeah. Uh, and also, especially if you're doing live streaming and things like that. Yep, exactly. Like if you want to live stream off your phone, the only problem is is that if you want to run a, a like power to your phone to keep it going, is Probably you're gonna tricky. you're gonna have to get some kind of super light USB. Yeah, uh, flexible cap- as well. F- super flexible, super light. But yeah, look, it's um it's a great idea I think for if you were gonna do a if you were at a protest or something, you were in the middle of stream, the mix, I think that yep. could be quite a useful addition because a lot of mobile phone footage is getting better because you've got optical stabilization in some of the higher end phones. Yeah, but it can only move around so much so in that much, little yeah. tiny space, and it's it's actually doing two axes. Oh, th- yeah, probably two axes at most. Yeah, it can do three with digital zoom, but I mean that's a digital stabilization in the Z domain, which is a scalable um, 
Here we got technical very quick there. Scalable stabilization is not particularly a, a very effective way of stabilizing your image. Mm. Um, so they also do it for GoPro as well. So if you do own a GoPro, you can get a version that you can clip a GoPro in. And the for good thing about this... Version 3 and 4. Yep. And also their little one. I forget what it's called, but whatever that little black one is. Yeah, the one that we all looked at and went, mm. one with Yeah, it's small, but it's got crappier image quality and costs a fair bit of money. Yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah. So the the little cute and the good thing is it's got um, preferences for the automatic uh, configuration of the unit so that it stabilizes and it, it's configured ready to go. Yeah. So there's no uh, one of the annoying things with stabilization systems is trying to balance them. Yes. You spend half an hour balancing them and then give up and just shoot it handheld. Yeah. Balancing. <laughs> I mean, it's always been the case, in, even with the back with the Steadicam JRs back in the day. I mean, you had to get your camera, you had to get the weights just right so that the thing would balance and, and sit perfectly on its uh, little gimbal. And these are no different. You have mm. to get it so that it understands exactly where the centre of gravity is. And it's not smart enough to figure out its own centre of gravity, unfortunately. Just on uh, The GoPro, Ronin is, for instance. Well, yes. Yeah. yeah, a bit more expensive, the Ronin. Uh, just as a complete side note, uh, GoPro hired an ex-Apple designer uh, about two weeks ago and their sock jumped 20%, <laughs> which is... <laughs> kind of worrisome that hiring one designer Jeez. can make your stock jump 20%. Yeah. Anyway, best so, of luck to GoPro. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> that's this week's GoPro news. <laughs> yep. Maybe not going down as much as we thought. Mm. Um, yeah, so that same um, uh, gimbal system as well, just, just to end on this, has a mirrorless one, which is uh, for 800 grams. And there's one called the Beholder BS1. Yeah. And the... Um, oh, sorry. Not DS1. BS. <laughs> the Beholder. The bullshit one. DS1. Yeah. So the Beholder DS1 supports up to uh, one and a half kilos, slightly over. So you could put a... Um, Smaller. A, a, a Canon 5D on there, or more importantly, Just. like a like a, maybe something sensible, like a Sony AS7 Mark II or something. Yeah. A7 Mark II. Something with a small lens on it. Yeah. A lightweight lens. So, yeah, yeah these, these these little gimbal kits are, I mean, it really blows my mind when you think that a Steadicam used to cost 45000 This isn't a Steadicam because no. it doesn't just float the camera in front of you in a really beautiful, majestic way. Mm. It doesn't support it on your back. The biggest problem with this is it's a single, like a candle walking around with a candle, and but imagine that five times heavier, and mm. it does hurt your wrists after a while. Mm. Yeah, look, uh, I think they're a good addition. The... The biggest problem, I think, is with the price of the big one. So the the sorts of cameras you're putting on the big one cost basically as much as the big one would for the most part. And I'm not sure that that's going to be a big market. Like, you you were pretty interested in this, Chris, until you saw the price. Yeah. Uh, like, it almost makes you go, well, why don't I do a smaller one and, and put a, you know, a, a GoPro on it? Like mm. it really does make, and then it's like, well, why don't I just get a DJI Osmo and it's all yeah. Exactly. But then the then you can't replace the camera part, but you can. You can on the higher end versions of that yeah. particular system, yeah. So, so mm. yeah, right. uh, it's it's food for thought. But these these hand stabilizers are um, certainly something that's that's pretty interesting market to watch move because hmm. we all want the camera that you just glide along with. And oh, get yeah. That. Especially when we're doing, like, we do music stuff. And my friend Ada, I mean, he'll attest to this. He bought this little camera off eBay uh, that was like uh, 60 bucks, I think, that we've used, like, for heaps of just running and walking around and talking into and just being idiots throughout the day. And some of that footage was classic material from, you know, when we were running around Japan. And, and it was just this thing that fit in your pocket. Mm. But something like that that you can just whip out and hit the button and hold in front of you and, and just do interviews in front. That's the other thing with these little gimbals. 
they have up, right, left, down, and you can actually adjust where they're going to point. Um, yeah. It's not as majestic as the DJI that has this nice kind of swing around with slow ramping at the end and start of it that's kind of nice and automated, but it, mm. it does allow you to adjust where the camera's going to lock onto as well, which is, is kind of cool. So mm. I'm looking forward to a future where we have handheld sticks with cameras on them. Gimbals for everyone. All right. It's a gimbal life. <laughs> it is. That, I think, wraps up the news for this week, Chris. Pretty much does. We have another topic to chat about, and that is the thing in front of us. Uh, that is the Zoom H6. <laughs> um, we've been I, uh, using this for a few weeks now, Chris, uh, yeah. and um, we have some thoughts about it. Before we get into it, I guess... For those who are unfamiliar with Zoom, I don't think there are many of you who would be listening to such a podcast. But look, they're a company that make a lot of things, but one of the things they're most famous for, I suppose, are their field recorders, most notably the H4 and the yep. H4n. So that was, I think, with the really with the start of the DSLR revolution, that became the hot topic uh, field recorder. They did the H1, I think it was, which was the original no, H2. No, that was actually after the H1. No, so it was, what was the H2? What was the original silver one that looked like a spaceship? It was going to take up into alpha space. But there was basically this this little handheld recorder, and they kind of defined how it would work. Rode was probably the, one of the early companies to come up with the XY microphone, and then Zoom, I think after seeing the popularity of that, actually took that concept and put it you know, as an all-in-one unit. And the biggest yeah. thing that Zoom have always had since day one is an XLR input on the the side of it so that it's yeah, a portable. Yeah, whereas Eddie Rolls, Rollins perhaps haven't. They might be better in terms of sound quality, but they haven't had the XLRs and, and they've been missing a few features. Well, they did even. I mean, there were always options. Sony had an option from day one, the PCM something or other, I think it was called. A lot that more was, pricey though, wasn't but it? Th- yeah, and this came out for sub $500 and everyone yeah. went, oh, we can finally record to, you know, something Secondary that sounds sound. good. Yeah. yeah. Relatively good. Uh, with something that costs less than the price of the camera, which mm. seems to be the topic of things these days. Mm. <laughs> Everything costs more than the price of the camera body. Yep. Um, so, yeah, look, I, this little recorder, it's handy. It's uh, got nice display on the front. It's got nice peak meters, a bit of a delay lag on them, but it's not. It's yeah, not look, good. it's their first color display, and the display on the F8, which is their higher-end model, is definitely better. This yeah. was their first attempt at color. Um, it's, it is still a bit laggy, but it's nowhere near what the H4 was. The no. H4 was bloody awful when it you came could, to boot times. You could whatnot. boot Windows 95 quicker than you could boot an, yeah. an H4n. And the so, pre's on that were hissy. Whether this one yeah. seems to be quite clean, quite good. My gripe with it is if I want to jump in and start changing my compressor settings and uh, like settings, it actually mutes the audio Like when you go in to change the compressor. What does your compressor sound like? No Go back idea. to the menu. Go, Go back, back to, to exit out. Like, you know, I'm used to having a rack unit where I turn a knob. Even like, you know, my Yamaha mixer with its one knob compressor yeah. is is way more functional. than Because you, you need to be able to hear that as yeah. you're dialing it up. What yeah. is it doing to the sound? Mm. And um, that for me, I mean, the F, the new F8 they've got does all of that. But yeah, this mm. this is, it's crippled by the fact they haven't thought always about sound engineers using it, I don't think. Now, look, in terms of the good points, uh, compared with the, the H4, as you mentioned, the, the noise floor is better. Uh, the big thing for me, Chris, is, well, two things. First, you've got four XLR inputs natively, which is a good, ana- a good amount. Um, most recorders only have two. Uh, the other thing is that you've got analog uh, input um, adjustments. So, whereas with the H4, you'll 
mashing on a digital uh, key on the side of the body. This one, you've got independent controls, and they're quite accessible, and they're analog, they're easy to spin, and uh, I don't know if they're analog. They, they're digital encoders, well, digital aren't they? encoders probably, but um, analog feel as opposed yeah. to pressing a button. Over you got over knobs it. on it. Look, it's nice you to got have knobs. You got nice, <laughs> nice to have knobs nice for knobs. your volumes. Yeah. yeah. Um, look, I don't have really much to say about it apart from that. Yeah, it's it is all accessible. You've got your pads, you've got your buttons that are easy to arm and unarm. So if you want to, uh, like, arm three and four, can you do it while you're recording? No. So you have to always stop. Uh, okay, you can pad it on the fly, mm-hmm. but you, that's that's about it. You can't rearm and, and change no, the way. not while so you're look, recording. And I was trying to go into the menu before to demonstrate some stuff with the compressor and the pass filter, and I can't access any of that or change anything while it's recording. Yeah. So the problem with that is if you're in the middle of a recording and you go, oh, shit, there's some wind here, I need to quickly engage my filter... You got to stop. You got to stop. <laughs> you got to go into the menu. Got to find the option. You, gotta, uh, you really need a switch for that stuff. And you know, even my little Yamaha Pocket Track has a switch. But then you would need four switches, for instance. Yep. But that's that's okay. It's forgivable for its price. It's a little bit weird to hold. I've found. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It feels there's no real grip to it. And yeah, your fingers kind of it's go got this over this curved body, which, yeah, I'm not quite sure where to put the fingers and where to put the thumb. But we got it sitting, like, you know, on a, a little desk in front of us right now, and it works nice as a tabletop unit, and really, you know, it's what it's designed for. It's not designed as a run-and-gun unit where you can see, you know, with a screen pointing up at you what's going on. Yeah. The case it comes with is crap, uh, just like the H4. That was even crapper. I would argue that it's a case that you're getting for free, so you should just, you know, shut up and accept the fact it's that you've got... It's a crap case you're getting for free. You're, you're paying, like, you know, 600 bucks for this thing or less. I you can know. pick up a nice waterproof case from B&H for 100 bucks, and that's, yeah, got laser-cut foam, and that's probably the way to go if you are going to buy one of these. It does have this funky adapter on top, so you can plug in different mic modules. So mm. it does have four... XLR inputs by default, and uh, you can add an additional two XLR inputs. So if you want six in total, you can do that. So this little clip on the top basically has four options. You can you can clip onto it an XY mic for recording, you know, your atmospheric sound, a mid side mic for um, you know recording anything that you you think's um, good with mid sound, maybe sort of like uh, sit back interviews and things. Or I mean, there's all sorts of things to do with mid sound. Uh, you can plug in a shotgun. There's a shotgun mic. that sort of does. Yeah, it's a shotgun mic. Yeah, yeah it's not particularly directional it's or a, that good. Or you can plug in the extra XLR inputs that are extremely hap- like you know useful if you've got um, multiple lapel kits and things like that. Hmm. I would argue that in the kit, I would love to have seen that option for the extra XLRs and the XY. Now they give you the XY one in the kit, um, yeah, which it's, I think it's pretty good. I I've, think the XY is the selling point. I mean, everyone yeah. needs an XY for doing Atmos sound. Uh, but rather than the shotgun one or even just a straight SM58 style capsule, you know, I want to mm. interview someone, put a mic in your face. We're on here at the streets of, you know, the Purple Fringe interviewing John about the show. And I want to just pop a, 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 you know, a recorder in his face and get his response. We don't have a Vox Pop option for it at all, really. We've got that shotgun, but shotguns are traditionally more sensitive, you know. Yeah. We just need a dumb, buy it separately. dumb, dirty capsule that you can just shove in someone's face. So, mm. uh, I was surprised it didn't come with that, or it didn't come with the um, the XLR adapter. But that's, I guess, the selling point of it. You know, they are going to make money from people wanting those extra two channels. So yeah, you can tell when you buy it that that's the option they don't give you. So um, weirdly, it comes with a memory card that is an SD card with a micro SD card adapter. 
which I just find strange. It's a two gig card and I have no beef with that because you're recording audio and it probably isn't going to take up too much memory. And if it is, you can go down the servo and buy a card. But why is it a, a micro SD card inside an SD card adapter? That's in just case weird. you want to put it in your tablet or your mobile phone. Oh, no, well, because news uh, coverage, for instance, if you wanted to send it back, you know, to the field off the thing, you could put a micro in your... Yeah, and you could take it out and you could drop it in the grass and never find it again. Yeah. But <laughs> You've done this, haven't you? I have done this. <laughs> um, I did find it again. It took me an hour. But, um, I can just imagine you rummaging around blades of grass. Micro... <laughs> it's a fucking this SD is a different. Car. This is a different topic, Chris. Micro SD is fucking evil. Yeah. Um, why? Um, why? 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 <sighs> micro SD or SD? Micro SD. Micro SD. Too SD. Small. I'm quite happy with SD. I think SD is is quite a good card. So you one of those you mini, don't have this... mini SD people? That, that... No, no. SD is good. Um, CF. CF is a, a good format. Apart from the fact that uh, people put the card in backwards and bend the pins inside a camera body, uh, SD I think is where it's at in terms of memory card form factor. Yeah. Anyway, I would I would argue that the <laughs> slight only thing... detour. If we want to get into memory card technologies, complete rabbit hole, because that's what I'm here for, mm. um, you don't actually have your control, your uh, drive electronics on the SD card itself. It's just mm. an interface to the memory, uh, main and memory address bus. And for Compact Flash, you actually have the uh, driver control that actually, you know, it talks to the, the memory internally on the Compact Flash card. So... Mm. It's the way it works is you're much likely to get more speed boost and benefits as you upgrade your cards because yep. your drive electronics is actually in the card. And you can do much more <laughs> smart things as far as data protection and uh, within a CF card. But then again... But that's we... not my beef. The beef is pins and the pins bend yeah. and then the camera shorts out uh, and the yeah. fuse blows and then you spend $350 replacing it. Um, not yeah. that I've had this happen before, Chris. <laughs> I don't know. How can you... Or, or happen multiple times, in CF fact. card doesn't go in the hole, it, it's the wrong way up. Well, that's what I try and explain to people. Yeah. They don't listen. It's not that hard. I mean, my Amiga's a bit confusing, <laughs> and it has been confusing for the last 20 years. And the, but pe- and the people at the airport find it confusing, I'm sure. When I take my Amiga through. Yeah, but, but the thing is, my pins are like, you know, I've always managed to keep it the right way up eventually, and it still works mm-hmm. in... When was that? 1997? Six, 96. I don't even know how many years later. 20 years on, it still works fine, and it's the same adapter. So, yeah, look, oh, memory card form factor. Will there ever be one that is perfect? Well, CFast, it costs a lot. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> CFast is an amazing format, but, you know, how much do you want to sell your kidney for? Yeah, look, CFast, I think, will be an interesting format. It's it's too large for these sort of devices that we're talking about for for the higher end stuff, I think that will be the format that we're rocking in, in the future as opposed to stupid bloody P2 cards and um, all these other weird somewhat proprietary formats. I think well, we need to get well away no, from those. see, because P2 was around because laptops had a PCMCI slot in them. Yeah, I know, but that, and was, that was how many years XQD ago now? XQD cards or the ones, sorry, SXS cards uh, for the Sony were the ones that had for SXS slots in mm. your laptop that you could put straight in. But, yeah, they're gone as well. Well, they're not. The, that's the problem. You can still buy bloody S by S. No, no, you can buy the cards, but the laptops with the readers. Oh, yeah, the laptops know, are gone. Long yeah. gone, yeah. Exactly. So we don't really have, I mean, it would be something with a like a USB 3 adapter poking out of it or something, but that's not really. Yeah. SD card. Yeah. So yeah, most laptops. It's pretty much, and that's why Blackmagic made their SD card, mm-hmm. H.265 encoder. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's not talk about That's a drinking offense. All right. So the H6, I think, is a good recorder. It's not great. It's um, 
the other thing I'd look at at this point, depending on the features that you need, is the Roland R26, which has better preamps from what I can see. It only has two XLR inputs. Um, it has nice big chunky volume knobs. It does suffer from handling noise. Uh, but in terms of actual recording, it is probably a better recorder, whereas the Zoom wins on functionality and uh, sheer size of inputs, I suppose. I'd say the test cam units are okay too. Um, yeah, look, the, the one that um, uh, we've been chatting, Chris, about doing a bit of a comparison at some point, um, and we'll probably get to that, but the one that seems to be the best is uh, a bit of an old school name, and that's the Marantz um, PMD661. The exact model number escapes me, but in terms of actually getting the best sounding recording, which is kind of important in a, a recorder, that seems to be the one to go for. It has a terrible interface. It's big and chunky. It's very old school in many respects. But in terms of actually getting good sound, that seems to be the one to go for. Yeah. Uh, but look, you've got to go for something that goes with your budget. The more you spend on audio recorders, really the more you get. And um, Sound devices, yeah. Yeah, I can't say I wouldn't recommend the, the Zoom. I mean, it's apart from the fact you've got to start and stop it to get to features that you might want to be able to toggle on the fly. Mm. I wouldn't buy one myself, but... I'd potentially recommend it to someone who who's like in a band or <laughs> something like else. that. Who know who can stop and start again and you know if you, but if you're doing critical live work where you need to go, oh shit, I need to keep recording it, but I need to fix a problem. If you can't fix it like without but you got if you think about what you're doing in advance, you should be okay and you sound check it. If you've got the ability to sound check and, and check everything, then yeah. But if you're on the fly and want to get to all the features, can't recommend it. All right, Chris, uh, one last thing before we get to the last segment, and that is another addition at the Purple Fringe, and that is, well, we've had it for a couple of weeks now, and those chapters with the uh, the podcast. So if you have a, a player that supports chapters, something like Overcast on the iPhone, there are many around, uh, you can skip our boring bits if you want to. If you found this entire discussion about the H6 entirely disheartening and you didn't really care and you just want to get to the beer review, then you can skip it with our new chapter function. There we go. You excited about that, Chris, from your facial expressions? Oh, mate, always. What are we drinking? Getting to the beer section for this week. We are drinking Mountain Goat. Now, a bit of a conflict of interest. Mountain Goat is tied as my favorite beer, but normally it's a steam ale, which is a a blue package and comes in a a stubby, um, tied with uh, little creatures as my daily drinker. But this is something a little bit different. This is kind of like what we had last week with the two birds. It's a summer ale, but this is the mountain goat version and also same sort of colour scheme as last week too. But quite uniquely, this is in a can, which is really bizarre because drinking out of a can for me is like drinking a VB and that's just unpleasant. Well, no, I've, I've actually got used to it because the Brooklyn uh, Lager and, and uh, po- uh, what was it, Three Points or six, no, Six Points uh, Brewery and stuff do cans as well and... There, I've got, I mean, I, I usually put them in a glass, but occasionally, you know, I'll just swig one out of it. And it's great for music festivals, you know. Well, I think that's why they've done it. It is a summer ale. You can drink it on the beach and not worry about getting glass in someone's foot. That was the biggest stress of going to, a, well, I can't say to the beach, uh, but to a music festival. And uh, you could go to the beach as well. It is actually finding cans because, you know, you get your beers confiscated on the way in. So, yep. yeah, uh, I'd, I'd happily grab a slab of this. It probably cost me, again, my other... Um, spleen. <laughs> well, yeah. If you um, know, but it's, it's, yeah. Beer is, uh, it's a nice From beer. what I've read, 
beer is technically better in a can. Because it keeps it sealed and yeah, like, fresh. Mm, there's something about a bottle, and all premium beers tend to come in bottles, and I think it's just a nostalgia factor apart from anything else. But it is meant to be better in a can. Um, I still prefer the bottle myself, but... I'm yeah. impartial. I've actually had so many nice beers now that are in a can that mm. I've kind of, you know, I'm fine with both. But it is a bit of a weird experience having that metal kind of hugging around your mouth. It is. But anyway, what do we think of the beer, Chris? That's the important bit. I like it. I think it's a very, it's a summery drink. It's it's quite, pa- again, goes it's got down that, very easily. that passiony fruit sort of flavor and it's, um, it's, it's definitely very, very the, light. It's not bitter at all. It says uh, kiwi and I definitely have that. And yeah. new world hops. Holy fuck. New world. Does that mean not bittery? I don't know, but it, it means it's like, it's like super light string sounds on my synthesizer. Right. Mm. Yeah. Look, um, I wouldn't drink this all the time, but definitely a summery sort of drink. Um, yeah. If you're not a big beer drinker, maybe this is one that you could try because it isn't too strong. Mm, if you get bloated um, easier with beer, this would be good for later on in the day if you still want something that's decent. Yeah, you know, yeah not too bad. Uh, before dinner drink, you know. After dinner you, drink. During don't fill you up. Yeah, yeah, that's it. it it's definitely... It'd go well with um, probably some uh, marinated meat, I'd say. It's, still, it's got enough flavour to punch through and hmm. still carry. I, I like it. All right, Chris, that's uh, a wrap for another episode of the Purple Fringe. Again, listeners, you can tweet us at TPF Show. Uh, please do ask any questions you've got and we'll uh, go through them on the show if we can. But that's pretty much it. Chris, do you want to run through anything else? No, that's uh, that's it for me. I think uh, next week we'll, uh, we'll uh, go back and I might have a new camera by then. Mm, very we'll interesting. We'll talk about that journey maybe when we get there because I haven't bought camera yet, but I haven't bought necessarily what I thought I was going to get because I did that thing where I went into a store and I played with the real thing. Yes. But that's for another day. All right. Until then, listeners. Empty can. Yeah. Well, cheers. That's that's blown the meters. I think it clipped. Yeah. Yeah. Headphones, you're so quiet. Would John say some words?